All right, today we address a controversial subject. I have titled it, to have fun with it, Is Bud Wiser? Hopefully we will address it with grace and wisdom, especially since the title of the series is The Way of Wisdom. Uh, but in order to do so, let me start off with a few caveats and comments. At Cedarville University, we have biblical mandates on one hand and institutional preferences on the other. Many of our institutional preferences exist so that we create an optimal environment for learning, for academic growth, and for spiritual growth. So you will not find a verse in the Bible that mandates curfew or a dress code or chapel attendance five days a week. But we have those as our institutional preferences. But to claim that an institutional preference is a mandate for all people is legalism. It's where you take one thing and make it universal, and that's not a good practice. We ban substances like tobacco and cigarettes, where I guess you could make an argument that because it harms the body, it's wrong, period. But there is no single verse that says, thou shalt not smoke, and yet wisdom would scream to you, never start that nasty habit. At the same time, we recognize that legalism never saved or encouraged spiritual growth in anyone. Alcohol is a controversial issue because some in this room would consider abstaining from alcohol a biblical mandate, while there are others in this room that would consider it an institutional preference. Some of our faculty and staff are here, and they believe that they have a firm conviction against all use of alcohol. Others have agreed to be part of our community and our covenants to avoid all possession or consumption of alcohol because all of them want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So wherever you land, by being here at Cedarville, whether it's a student with the student code of conduct in the student handbook known as the Cedarville experience or a faculty and staff member, then you have agreed that you will not possess or consume alcohol. So I'm not going to focus on the most controversial portion for our community. Today, I want to focus on what Proverbs says about the matter. And I want to be completely transparent, fair, and accurate to what the text of Scripture says even if it makes us uncomfortable. The main idea is that Proverbs condemns alcohol abuse and encourages wisdom with alcohol. We can take that away from Proverbs. Condemns alcohol abuse and encourages wisdom with alcohol. Point number one is that Proverbs speaks positively about wine. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Hear what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Scripture frequently speaks of the goodness of wine. It's as though wine is seen as a blessing given by God or an indication of God's blessings upon prosperity or favor for an individual or group. Now, I don't know whether the wine, the sweet wine in the Old Testament is the same as grape juice or has a lower level of fermentation as what we have today. I don't know how you would go about proving that or seeking to prove that as some do. Some of you may wish to consider that further. But what I do want you to note is that the Bible does speak positively about wine. It means that for us to be honest and to be true and to be transparent, we can't make overstatements like saying that the Bible always speaks negatively about wine. Elsewhere in scripture, it speaks of the goodness of wine. 
Deuteronomy 7.13, 14.26, Ruth 2.14, when Boaz asked her to dip her morsel into the wine. Genesis 27.25, Isaac is drinking wine, and in verse 27, he gives the blessing to Jacob, and as part of that blessing, he says, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 104, 14 and 15, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Joel 2.24 and 3.18, the threshing floors shall be full of grain and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. In 3.18, it says the mountains shall drip sweet wine. The Bible uses wine as a sign of blessing or as a sign of good times. 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul writing here tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Some of you may not like what scripture says. Some of you may not like that it only says a little there and not a lot. Some of you may not like that it says a little and not none at all. Perhaps it is because of the condition of the water, but nonetheless, we must recognize that Paul encourages in this particular situation with these variables, the use of a little wine. Jesus turned the water into wine. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So let's be careful and let's be accurate as we talk about what the Bible says to let the Bible speak and not to cut portions out that we don't like or that make life more difficult for us or that make us uncomfortable. Let's be honest. Let's have integrity. Let's recognize the Bible and Proverbs speaks positively about wine. It doesn't mandate that you use it and it uses it in other ways. So point number two, Proverbs uses the word wine neutrally. There are verses in Scripture and there are verses in Proverbs where the word wine is just there. It doesn't give us an indication we should partake or that you should not partake. Proverbs 4, 17, for example, says, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. We're not forbidden from eating bread, even though it's described as the bread of wickedness here, nor wine, even though it's used as wine of violence. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 2 and verse 5 says this, She has slaughtered her beast, she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. This is Lady Wisdom, you'll remember in Proverbs chapter 9. It doesn't say the same thing about Lady Folly later on in chapter 9. You could go all throughout Scripture looking at times where the word is used neutrally. But I want to focus our discussion and develop it further in some other areas this morning. So point number three is that Proverbs condemns alcohol abuse. Proverbs condemns alcohol abuse. Proverbs 23, 20, and 21 says this, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Some of us really like to focus on one part of that, but we really don't like to focus on the other part of that. For the drunkard... And the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. 
Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. We're going to look at this in a little more detail. It says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me. I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. This is a significant passage in Proverbs talking about the abuse of alcohol. Notice that it begins with six questions to describe those who abuse alcohol. First two, you see emotional problems. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? The answer will be those who tarry long over wine or go to mixed wine. The second set of questions talks about the relational or the social problems. Who has strife? Who has complaining? The third set talks about the physical problems. Who has wounds without cause? Who passed out and don't even remember how they got beat up or who beat them up or what happened to them or how they stumbled? It's because they just don't know what happened and they have wounds without cause. What did I do? Who has the redness of eyes? Terry Long, some of your translations, it would say lingers. She used in Isaiah 5.11 as the one who stays up late, who lingers in order to pursue wine, to pursue more, to party harder, we might say, in our society. The abuser in this text, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try a mixed wine, look what it says in verse 31, do not look at wine. And we immediately react and say, oh, wait, this is legalism. You, you can't look at wine. But we remember the genre of Proverbs as a book of wisdom. And it's a book who is here saying to the person who has a problem of alcohol abuse, don't even look at it. Be wise about your life and your pursuit of holiness and your pursuit of God and your pursuit of wisdom. Don't look at it. Wisdom asserts itself to those given to much wine. Stay away from it. But that's not a universal mandate of what might be sinful. Be like Joseph. He fled the temptation. Remember that scripture talks to us about what happened when Eve lingered in her look at the forbidden fruit, when Achan looked at the possessions that he coveted in his heart, when David looked and lingered in his gaze upon Bathsheba. Know your personal weaknesses. Use wisdom to set up personal boundaries that help you avoid temptation, but then do not extend your personal rules and your personal wisdom to everyone else in such a way that everyone else must abide by your own personal wisdom for your own personal weaknesses. Pursue wisdom. We see then in verse 32, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart, your inner being, who you are, what comes from your heart and out of your mouth will utter perverse things. Drunkenness can cause your eyes to play tricks on you. Causes your actions to betray your normal demeanor. I suspect most of us have seen people who have abused alcohol, who have been in drunken stupors before. We have seen that alcohol lowers the inhibitions. People do things they would not normally do. The mouth says things they would not normally say. The introvert talks without ceasing. 
The enthusiastic, joy-filled person cries at every little thing. The stone wall who always walks around with his shoulders back and his arms crossed and never shows any emotion, walks around hugging everybody, telling them how much he loves them. The 90-pound weakling thinks he can beat up everybody in the room. Alcohol abuse can make a paper bag think it's bulletproof. Some of you have experienced some of the downside of this. The loving father who might strike you due to the abuse of alcohol. The mother who spews words that are hateful words that she would never utter with a sound mind to someone that she loves so much. Foolish directions and trajectories of life that are set because of the abuse of alcohol. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds, no longer controlled by our intellect, no longer controlled by a mind that is not impaired, but then impaired, our true self begins to emerge. The problem with that is our true self is that sinful nature or that flesh as we refer to it that we so often have to resist through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to glorify God in our lives. We don't want the flesh to reign uncontrolled. I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time doing what's right when I am in my perfectly right mind or as close as I get to that point. I don't need anything else to lower my guard. This text talks about how your senses become confused. You feel the buzz as it is, the waves of the sea. You lie down and the bed moves as though you were on the waters. You walk and you stumble as though you are a sailor without sea legs, going to and fro. People look and they see the staggering and they know alcohol abuse has taken place. You were beaten and you don't know why. What did I do? You wake up feeling pains in various areas. You don't remember. Do you learn your lesson from the alcohol abuse? The text tells us. You wake up. When am I going to wake up so I can go get another drink? You don't learn from it. In fact, you just seek after more. So I say to you, as someone who wants everyone in this room to flourish for the glory of God and the good of others, does alcohol appeal strongly to you? Do you have alcohol abuse in your family? Be careful. Look at Proverbs. Pursue wisdom. Above all, get wisdom. And ask yourself the question, is Bud really wiser? Scripture elsewhere condemns drunkenness or alcohol abuse. Genesis 19, 32 through 35, we see Lot's daughters used the wine to seduce him. In Isaiah, there are some particularly strong passages. Isaiah 5, 11 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Isaiah 5.22 says, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. Oh, doesn't this describe some portions of our society? The people who come to high school or wherever it may be after the weekend, do you know how much I had to drink this weekend, they brag. And here we see in this verse, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Isaiah 28, 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. We see this in the New Testament as well. I won't go through all of these passages, but Romans 13, 13, Galatians 5, 21, Ephesians 5, 18, 1 Peter 4, 3, and other locations. Let me give you a few statistics. 
As we look at what's happening in our society, one of the reasons I'm addressing this subject in this series is because we don't talk about it enough to think wisely about the issue, and sometimes you just end up abusing alcohol. In fact, alcoholism in our country is on the rise drastically. This chart is from a Washington Post, August 11th, 2017 article, which it shows this based off of two studies. In these studies, you can now see that one in eight or 12.7% of American adults are alcoholics. One in eight, as you leave this place, as you go out to do ministry, are alcoholics. The largest change was in the most severe alcohol use category. This is the number of people who have received a diagnosis of alcoholism, not those who are still in denial. Over the study of these two periods, it shot up by 49%. The International Business Times called this a, quote, unseen epidemic, end quote, with unprecedented increases over the past two decades that Americans are not sufficiently aware of in this crisis. Drinking trends in the U.S. also show that alcohol abuse is rising. This chart shows you high-risk drinking in the red, alcohol abuse or dependency in the orange. You see the sharp increase over the past two decades. If you dig deeper into this study, you would learn that women, the increase of abuse or dependency is up 83.7% over the course of these studies. Among blacks, it's up 92.8%. And among the poor, it's up 65.9%. The poor are being categorized as those earning less than $20,000 a year. We should not have a society that is turning to alcohol to cure all of their issues and problems when the only thing that can solve and bring contentment and satisfaction and joy is Christ and living life in Christ. Michael Fitz, president of Tulane University, said that nationally, seven out of 10 college students drink regularly. Well, those are the statistics. And three out of 10 will be problem drinkers when they graduate college. Now, take into account that none of you drink, right? Take that into account to those statistics of what happens at the other colleges or universities. Binge drinking causes a long list of negative physical and mental health effects. It threatens your ability to perform academically, to memorize things, to include problem solving in your mind. Binge drinking and parties are also frequently associated with sexual assaults, mistakes, tragic situations on campuses. You combine that with the fact that three quarters of most college populations, undergraduate populations, cannot legally drink, and you see where the issues arise. We should note that scripture clearly condemns alcohol abuse, but there is more here. Proverbs also encourages wisdom with alcohol. Many choose to avoid alcohol altogether based on wisdom or on scripture's encouragement of sober-mindedness. But we see in Proverbs some verses where it talks about having wisdom when it comes to alcohol. Proverbs chapter 20, verse one says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It's clear there. Don't be led astray by wine or strong drink. That is not wisdom. Proverbs 31, four through seven is an interesting passage. It says to us, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. It's almost as if the mother in giving this command wants to make sure that the son is listening. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. 
Calling the name to call attention, the name which means belonging to God. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink. Look at why. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, either their own decrees or the proper bounds of authority that has been decreed before them, and they pervert the rights of all the afflicted. They end up hurting because of their alcohol abuse, those that they are supposed to be helping, those that they have the power to help. Verse six and seven, in a somewhat sarcastic tone, it says, give strong drink to those who are perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It's not encouraging that for every person. It's not encouraging you to waste your life through alcohol, but it is saying that if you wanna be in a position of leadership, there are times when you must give up certain liberties. If you wanna be part of something bigger than you, there are times that you may have to voluntarily give up certain things. I don't mean compromise on theological convictions. I mean, give up certain liberties. Such an important position requires clear, strong thinking with a clear head and a strong mind. You have to make wise decisions and remember the decisions that you made. Strong drink, translated in the NIV, is beer. So to paraphrase this, Leaders can't afford to embarrass themselves by guzzling beer or wine, being hungover, making bad decisions, or abusing the power that they've been given and hurt the people that they're supposed to help. Verse six and seven have been taken in context as compared to the leader who cannot drink and forget as the poor who drink and forget. It should not be taken out of context as encouragement to drink. Elsewhere, we see the encouragement of sober-mindedness. Daniel chapter one. He was commended for not eating or drinking what the Babylonians did. There was more at stake here, including who received the credit for what Daniel would do in his life, but it included abstaining from the food and the drink of that time. That was wisdom for Daniel. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. First Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. First Peter 1, 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, or as the old NKJV would put it, gird up the loins of your mind, gird them up, prepare your minds, and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some in this consideration would use the stumbling block argument from Romans 14, 13. That text says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, I don't have time to develop this argument. If you're not familiar with the stumbling block argument, I encourage you to go research it. Write it down, make a note in your journal. You go figure it out later in a different setting. Others would make an argument that we should not support a bad industry. You can go research that one for yourself as well. This could, in fact, go as far as your value investing. Where do you put your money? You say, well, right now I'll put it to paying tuition. But one day you're going to make tons of money because you're going to get a job and you're going to go out and do things and you're going to put money into retirement accounts and value investing will be something you want to be aware of. 
You don't invest your money in what's referred to as sin stocks. But that's another topic for you to research. Scripture does, on occasion, forbid all wine or strong drink, particularly in the case of the priestly duties in Leviticus 10.9 or the Nazarite vow in Numbers 6.3. And you see that also play out with Samson in the book of Judges. Some of you in this room, by way of application, have experienced the effects of alcohol. And you have sworn off of it based on an experience factor. You have seen car wrecks caused by drunk drivers. The physical, the mental, or the psychological abuse of alcoholic moms or dads or other family members. Let me give you a few statistics on teen use of alcohol in particular in driving. Teen alcohol use kills 4,300 people each year. These statistics come from the MAD website, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That's more than all illegal drugs combined. In 2015, 10,265 people died in alcohol-impaired driving crashes, accounting for nearly one-third of all traffic-related deaths in the United States. And drunk driving costs the United States $132 billion a year. Be wise. Pursue wisdom. The Wall Street Journal actually carried an article on February the 9th, 2018, that talked about the controversy over warning labels stating that alcohol causes cancer. Uh, You can go find the article and read it, but this is one of the charts that it showed. February 2015, there was a study in the British Journal of Cancer that cites alcohol as a risk factor for several kinds of cancer. January 2016, the UK government warns that drinking any level of alcohol increases the risk of a range of cancers. May 2017, the study leading a cancer research organization says consumption of alcoholic drinks is a convincing cause of postmenopausal breast cancer. November 2017, the American Society of Clinical Oncology says alcohol use, whether light, moderate, or heavy, is linked with the increasing the risk of several leading cancers. January 2018, Nature publishes studies showing, uh, can you pronounce the word there, produces when the body breaks down alcohol, could damage DNA, causing cancer in mice. And then you run across an article like I saw shared on a Facebook page just the other day from U.S. News and World Reports or something of that nature that says drinking a glass of wine is more important than daily exercise to living a long life. And you go, what? There are reports all around and all out there. So what do I encourage you to do? Use wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Get wisdom. It's the message of Proverbs. I encourage you, ask those who have lived a long time, Get their perspective. Pastors who have served at churches for over 25 years, ask them what they see, what they recommend. Those who serve here at Cedarville for 30, 40, 50 years, your faculty members or staff members you respect, ask them the questions. Ask them what they've seen. The main idea is that Proverbs condemns alcohol abuse and encourages wisdom when it comes to alcohol. Now in our time, this has become a difficult issue to discuss. Generally speaking, if you condemn all alcohol, you will be called a legalist by those my age and younger. If you fight for alcohol, you will be called a fool by those my age and older. So basically, I've chosen to address a subject today on which I can't win. There's not really anything I could say that would satisfy both sides of the argument. So why then address the issue at all? Because you need to think about it with wisdom. And so do I.
and I want you to flourish for the glory of God and for the good of others. And I want you to consider this issue now, not to react to something later. So today, I have attempted to the best of my ability to address the issue with fairness and integrity and kindness, but I didn't have enough time to scratch the surface. So I apologize in advance for the brevity and for any lack of clarity. While you are at Cedarville, alcohol is forbidden. It's the community we want. We want you to learn academically, to develop the gifts God has given you, to flourish for his glory, to develop sharp minds and skills that will create platforms for you to go out and do amazing things for the kingdom of God. That's the environment we want. And we also want an environment where you will grow spiritually, deeper in your walk with Christ, deeper in your knowledge of the scriptures. And with this type of environment, we have chosen to create this type of community. When you leave Cedarville, and that is the goal for those of you that are students, right? You graduate here in a few short months, some of you. I encourage you to remember Proverbs and its main pursuit, get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Is Bud really wiser? Some of you will choose no alcohol for any number of reasons. This is my position, but I do not seek to impose my personal preferences upon every other Christian because I consider that legalism. For us to have a personal conviction based on wisdom is acceptable to the Lord. For us to have a high standard is acceptable to the Lord, but to make our preference a universal law is legalism. Some of you will choose alcohol in moderation. The key word there being moderation. Be extremely careful where your example leads others around you and those who follow you. I hope you will not be known as a person who is for alcohol or a person who wants everybody else to drink so that you don't feel guilty about drinking. You should not impose your liberty upon others so that it ends up being a stumbling block. Some of you will choose to give up liberties to be part of something bigger. Voluntary organizations have the right to express either what they perceive as biblical convictions or institutional preferences to create the type of culture and community that they desire. It takes humility and an attitude of service to give up something in order to be part of something bigger. Not compromise theologically, but to give up a liberty. I think that's a good thing. So as we think through this issue, let's be people of the Spirit, not people who are drunk with wine, whatever your position. Some of you have more questions. Good. I'm glad. This doesn't exhaust the subject, but hopefully it starts you thinking about it with wisdom and starts your search. Discuss those questions with friends. Search the scriptures for yourself. Talk to faculty members, pastors, those in the local church, staff members here at Cedarville, mentors. And above all, let's pursue the way of wisdom. Dear Lord, I pray for each of our faculty, staff, and students who are in the room here, that you would help us all to have wisdom in all that we do. Lord, that you would help us to have charity when we discuss difficult issues with one another, 
to do so faithful to the text of Scripture and what it says. Lord, I pray most of all, especially for our students, that you would help them to flourish in their lives, that you would help them to develop their gifts so that as you take them to the various ends of the earth, they would do amazing things for your honor, for your glory. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You are dismissed.